Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. It's that time once again. It's that time where we look back another busy month of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Not even a month. A lot of this still happened in February, and we talked about the new beginning, which was a lot of the first half of February. We're coming out in March. A lot of stuff happening, and just a couple of days from when you're listening to this now, and we're recording it. There's still a whole tournament going to be happening. There's all this news coming out. Big things to delve into. It looks like this is going to be a two-show month here in March. But hey, oh, all the, the more did you find the better for us. I'm sure my co-host, Grant McRobbie, will agree with me. I uh, Scott, yeah, I definitely agree. We are in for a stacked month. Anniversary shows, New Japan Cups, oh my. Oh my, indeed. I am Scott McLeod, obviously, as you already have guessed. If you didn't, well, I'm telling you now. Uh, so me and Grant are here. Obviously, I said we had the new beginning tour. We were in Nagoya, then Hiroshima and everything else going on between big returns that was a busy episode but the new beginning carried on over in the US and that's what we're going to talk about before we go on to the castle attack and everything that developed there to lead into the anniversary show and the New Japan Cup that you mentioned first of all before I go into the new beginning USA I said this to Grant uh, but I don't think I've said it on the show but I said in lead up to castle attack we weren't really sure what the hell castle attack meant and I said if there's not a castle with a wrestling ring in the middle of it, and where they're holding the show, then it's false advertising. There was no castle whatsoever. All we got was a strange anime of some sort of samurai in the opening video package, and we were in Osaka, so I feel slightly robbed, I think, of, of the name Castle Attack. <laughs> yeah, there was no Takeshi's Castle-style sort of obstacle course for them to get to the ring or anything like that to even make up for it. Absolutely. But somebody who does feel like they went through some of a Takeshi Castle kind of well, challenges to get their match that they're owed is Kenta because Kenta won the New Japan Cup USA all the way back in uh, the summer of 2020. He's defended it against David Finlay, Kojima, Brody King, Jeff Cobb. You know, he's taking on all comers for that right to challenge, just waiting for John Moxley uh, to come back. And lo and behold, finally John Moxley makes his return and this past week on... On Friday, uh, it would have been more Saturday or time where the time it caught up, but uh, on Friday, on the 26th of February, Moxley versus Kenta, headline New Beginning USA Night 2, uh, a match that we're all anticipating. I tried to lower my expectations going into it. Grant, how did you find this match, considering what the expectations were for Moxley versus Kenta? It had the lofty expectations, and I, I kind of had to fight yourself, I kind of had to bring my expectations down a little bit just to see what was going to happen but I still enjoyed it I thought it was a great match, I felt more time could have been given for them but I absolutely loved it Yeah and they did dedicate a lot of the episode of New Japan Strong to them because you have, you usually have like 
three or so matches on a, an average New Japan Strong Show. They had the first two matches, they did a little break. As soon as they came out, they even gave them a little video package. Rocky Romero joined Alex Kozlov and Kevin Kelly on commentary for the match. Even like they gave them some leeway because you kind of need to when John Moxley's involved. They even had a table spot at one point. You had Kenta hitting an elbow drop to John Moxley on a table to the outside, which is a cool spot. You just kind of wish it wasn't happening in this empty studio where they were recording it. Yeah, that that's the one thing that felt so weird to me is that we're now used to like the non-US stuff like back in Japan. We've got full full venues, the full size ring. So the little studio in America just feels that little bit tight and compact. That it just seems to lack a little bit of the atmosphere you get elsewhere. But they made they made the best of it, and yeah, this spot with the table was beautiful. Of course, uh, it went really bad for you. Had kind of locking in the uh, the game over right in the center of the ring. Didn't manage to hit the, the go to sleep. Moxley did hit a version of the uh, the Death Rider or Paradise, if whatever you prefer, uh, without the elevation, but then eventually managed to hit the elevated version of the Death Rider, plant kind of on his head, and Moxley retained the US title, which was a, was a surprise to me. I'm not saying I'm disappointed because the match was excellent, and I hope actually we get a chance to see it again uh, down the line, maybe as part of the G1 or something like that. Or like this part of the relationship with this AEW potentially with New Japan, but I just I was shocked that Kenta didn't win because I thought because the Kevin Kelly said he's technically the most successful US champion without winning the belt, given how often he he retained the the briefcase and defended it. Am I the only one that feels like it was set up a lot of this felt set up for Kenta to win? Yeah, I had that feeling that the way they were building it was it just felt this is so inevitable Kenta's going to win because Moxley's not been around the pandemic's limiting it. He's going to become a dad soon, so he might be. Oh, no, wait, no, he's going to retain. Oh, my. But then again, this leaves me wide open to, will I finally get Moxley v, v ZSG eventually? Please. Maybe, maybe so. I think he might be a part of New Japan Strong for a little while longer because they have announced that starting uh, this week on the 5th of March, uh, on New Japan Strong, qualifying matches for the New Japan Cup USA 2021 over the next few weeks determine officially starting on the, the 2nd of April, at least going to be an eight-man tournament single elimination like the first one. And the first two qualifying matches are set for this Friday. And look very interesting. We have the DKC taking on Filthy Tom Waller and Leo Rush taking on Rocky Romero. Yeah, like that, that's actually two brilliant matches. Tom Waller is looking fantastic and, and blending into the, the New Japan style. Um and I could definitely see him like get him on a flight to Japan. I want to see him make an appearance over there. Um, DKC, I still don't know what DKC stands for. Is it like the Donkey Kong champion or something like that? <laughs> I, I do believe his initials, his actual full name, and initials are DKC. I can't remember what his full name is, but I think it's very similar to Randy Orton, where I think the RQ is just because his full name is Randall Keith Orton. So I know it's not the most exciting one. I kind of wish I'd left it just being Donkey Kong champion. <laughs> but maybe it's yeah. like CM Punk where Punk said the CM stands for a number of things oh it could be a complete it's a complete mystery and it's I think that match is going to be interesting but oh, let's face it the, the, the main one there is Romero and Rush I'm actually really excited for that yeah uh, because that one could go kind of either way whereas the other one seems kind of telegraph that Lola will pick up the one because EKC is now part of the Young Line system in the LA Dojo so as part of the most young lines do on the side, probably not going to pick up too many wins. And it's quite interesting that Moxley just finally being the winner of the 2020 
New Japan uh, Cup USA winner, and now he's going to probably fight in New Japan Cup USA winner this year again in his very next defence. And it's quite interesting to think about who he might go up against. Cause you think of who has been appearing regularly on Strong, you know, TJP, ACH, Fred Rosser, Brody King, Dick, uh, Chris Dickinson. So there's a potential really strong opponents. Like, I think right now, just from hearing those two qualify matches, my favourite to fight Moxley next is Tom Waller. Yeah, I, I love the idea of, of Waller facing them. Leo Rush being in there, I think it's great because you know they've made it clear it's an open weight tournament and you remind me of Brody King's there. Brody King v Moxley in a hardcore style match would just be absolutely phenomenal to watch. Yeah, 100%. But I mentioned uh, AEW before. Kenta, in the lead-up to this, did appear on AEW to, to attack Moxley and okay, set up for uh, this match. And then the next week they had a no-DQ match of uh, Kenta team up with Kenny Omega taking on Lance Archer and John Moxley. And that actually the episode down where that happened is actually now available on New Japan World, uh, as is the episode of Impact from a couple of weeks ago where Finn just uh, showed up. They beat uh, Reno Skim, I believe, and then kind of set something up potentially with them and the Good Brothers for the Impact titles down the line. So... A lot of interesting things are happening with New Japan and their kind of relationships and everything. And also getting to see other companies' content appearing on New Japan's website. Yeah, there's so much going on there. And, you know, you mentioned the Finjus connection there as well. And I did see a little thing on Twitter earlier that Finjus are teaming with the Good Brothers to take on, is it Triple XL and Reno Scum? Yeah, Triple uh, XL have been Lardy and AC Romero and yeah, Reno Scum. Reno Scum, actually, it's weird because they haven't been around for a little while and then they made. They pop back up, which is which is good because they're kind of one of the, a good lower card team. So I think uh, well, from what I've heard uh, from PW Insider, the Good Brothers played a big role in this uh, relationship with Impact and New Japan, where it's mainly because New Japan want to use those guys in some capacity or another. And they thought, the reporter also mentioned Chris Bay being part of uh, Super Jacob was kind of a first like kind of offering and kind of teaser, like to see how these relationships could be amended. But also, there are so many other rumours about Impact in New Japan. Like, even ones go as far as to say that Okada could be coming uh, to the Impact Zone at some point, especially given what happened when he was there on his excursion. There's a real built-in story for Okada when he comes over, if it hasn't, if it happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely loving this whole... I know some people hate the name for it, but I absolutely love that they've rattled in the Forbidden Door. Although, I still think it's funny that Hangman Cage tweeted someone's opened the Forsaken Door, now they've got two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, and also like the connection with uh, Japan. It doesn't start with New Japan for Impact because there's been rumours of uh, the great Muta or Keiji Muto, where call me will uh, now being the GHC Heavyweight Champion at 58 years old. One of the only people to hold the GHC Heavyweight title, the All Japan Triple Crown, and the IWGP Heavyweight title. And he said he will be coming over to defend the title and. And an impact, which is quite interesting, because I'm not quite sure who you could face. The only one I can think of is him v Eddie Edwards, because Eddie Edwards is actually one of the only Gaijin wrestlers to ever be GHC heavyweight champion. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, who does he go against? But no doubt they'll have something in mind. They're, they're, the, the creative minds at the top seem to be working really well in synergy with each other right now. And it is just making so many great things happen for us as fans. Like, I don't know how anyone could complain about this. Uh, and I do like hope that we see Moxley. Like, there's not that much time between his next this and his next title defense. 
because he does have that match at Revolution, the exploding barbed wire death match between him and Kenny Omega at Revolution uh, coming up the Sunday, actually. And there's all this talk that Moxley will be taking some time away uh, from AEW after this match. Uh, so I'm assuming that means they're going to claim and keep it that he died in an explosion somehow. Uh, so, that, so that in reality he can go and like be with his, his newborn child. Uh, also, that the thought that could open the door for him to come to Japan uh, for a few more dates uh, to kind of make up for the fact he hasn't been around a lot. Uh, do you think that's possible? And do you think, uh, how soon do you think we'll see Moxley defending his title again? I, th- I think definitely there's a lot, there's a strong possibility there. If he's not going to defend the title in Japan, I can still see them fitting some more defences in the USA. Um, since they do have a fair few guys that between tours go back home and are based in America, so maybe we could potentially see Jay White and John Moxley down the line. I wouldn't complain at that. Yeah, because I don't think he would go to Japan to then have to do the quarantine uh, so soon after his wife's had a child. And they did tape seemingly in a, quite a large bulk these New Japan Strong tapings. So at least until after, uh, like sometime in late April, because I think. April 2nd when the New Japan Cup USA starts and they say the tournament's going to go for four weeks until they get to like, the terminal winner so literally, he has something he can spend at home but then I think he will pop up in New Japan Strong hopefully more often than not oh, maybe not just for tail match he can pop up in the odd like special tag match or something like that but yeah I don't think he'll go over to the Japan for quite a while yet speaking of like quarantine I think Kenta this match again must have been taped somewhat time ago because Kenta's been announced for the New Japan Cup, and I think he's wrestling as part of the anniversary show in a tag match, so he, this would have had to take at least a couple of weeks ago if he's done his quarantine thing to be a part of the, these shows. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's 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 trying to figure out the logistics because they don't give anything away with these recordings, like when they were recorded, where they were recorded, so it's, it is completely um, you know, it's just a complete mystery. Um, but yeah, you're, you are right, he is in a, a, a 10-man uh tag match between Bullet Club and Taguchi, Hanari, Finjuice and Tanahashi. Yeah, and it is amazing that not a lot really gets out about uh, these tapings. You know, I think it only came out that uh, it must have been taped. His conversation with Kent uh, was taped sometime before the Tokyo Dome. And that only came out like after it aired. So it's surprising that nothing really gets out about that. You got to think also Finjuice taped their stuff from Pitt sometime ago. They're obviously there as well because they're both going to be in the New Japan Cup as well. But going from the US title to another title, it's been talked about a lot in this past month, and that's the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, where uh, sadly, for the second time, Hiromu Takahashi has had to vacate the title due to injury. Thankfully, it's not his neck this time. It was a, he injured his pectoral muscle, and apparently it happened at a non-televised event on the road to Castle Attack. But he was scheduled on Thursday, the 25th of February to challenge alongside Bushi, Eldest Brad and uh, Ishimori for the tag team titles. But he came out at the start of the show, vacated the title, and then the spot in the tag match went to Desperado and Kamaru, the former tag team champions. Before we get to the tag match, uh, how heartbroken were you when you heard once again Hiromu had to vacate the title? I just was not ready for that. Like we already had um, Naito's knee in doubt at points over this Castle Attack tour. So when I heard the news about Hiromu having to vacate the title, I was just like, "Please God, no!" And don't <laughs> let it be his neck. Like you don't want any injury at six months out. But I'm I'm just grateful 
his neck is still in one piece and you know he will come back he, he put an update on Instagram and Twitter today he's he's on there he's I think he's had whatever he needed to get done done so this is the start of recovery six months he'll be back and he'll he'll be back in time for like probably like close to G1 time and that so you know I'm sure we'll see him do do some madness in the last quarter of the year let's just get well soon Hiromu yeah, 100%. It is kind okay, of sad that happened. It's obviously, given that it coincided with Naito, who thankfully was well enough to uh, to compete against the Bushy at Castle. So it was like almost like someone put some sort of bloody curse on the members of LIG at the time. Where you were like, what the hell is going to happen next? Is Sonata going to uh, have an injury as well or something like that? But it, it created a good opportunity for Desperado and Kamado, who got their rematch against uh, ELP and to each morning, and usually like, you don't really buy into matches where there had to be a replacement so like last minute because it's rare that the replacements win but I was really like into this match I thought like given how quickly the changes made this could have gone either way because you're not sure what exactly the original plan was when the Roman that were involved but EOP's uh, loaded boot ended up kind of costing them because he went and get Kamaru who then grabbed it and swung it into the face of of Ishimori and then pinched local, and we had new tag team champions, which started a hell of a, month, a hell of a few days for for Desperado. But God, were you shocked to see that uh, the titles changed hands uh, after Hiromu and that were replaced? I I was kind. I, I I'll be honest. I wasn't actually shocked at the title change because I thought when Hiromu had to vacate, I was like, they're going to have to set up a match pretty quickly for that vacate belt. Desperado getting the pin for the for the junior tag titles is a fantastic way to insert him into the picture. And to me, this match was this was the match we should have got from these two teams the first time. The first time it was all shenanigans. Don't get me wrong, there were still shenanigans this time, but this was just a whole different level up from what they'd done the last time. Mm-hmm. I think it was a case of like Desperado and Kalamaru kind of learning from what the local had done the last time to win. Where they kind of they suspected about what was going on with Phantasmo's boot, and then they they had a plan to counter, and it basically backfired on them, and it knocked poor Ishimori out. Uh, but yeah, it is weird that they become the de facto uh, faces in this Camaro and, and Desperado, and then after the match, you have Camaro getting on the mic. Is uh, now the third reign of the junior tie champs, and basically he said that he wanted to be the one to replace the Roma against Desperado. Then out comes Game Bushy to uh, say he wanted a shot at the title, given he was their almost tag partner and everything. Whereas Desperado felt like he should have just been awarded the belt. And even before, like this, uh, even before Roma got injured, he was coming out with these IWGB Junior title and a cardboard version of the Junior title in preparation for what he thought he was going to end up being a double champion. Yeah, the the, the absolute hubris on. On ELP, like, you know, he, he came into it so cocky, and you know, I like, I like that Hiromu himself said, like, when he had to vacate the belt, he was like, "I want Bushi to take my place in this match because it just feels right that it should be him." And Desperado just making an emphatic statement. I love the way that that finished with Desperado pretty much laying out the challenge. Then you had the the old fashioned ELP silenced them with sudden death, and then boom, codebreaker from Bushi. I was like, "Whoa, this is interesting." Yeah, I think it was important that Bushy stood tall at the end of that uh, confrontation because he was kind of the outside bet because, like I said, he's kind of, in terms of juniors in the LIG, he's kind of overshadowed by Hiromu, as is most of the division. 
So he had he really had to like stamp his claim and say I should be in this match, and that did set up the triple threat for Castle Night Two, which we'll get to a little bit later on. A rare triple threat for for New Japan, but it was I was excited when I seen it got announced. And so we go on to Castle Attack, uh, Night One on the twenty seventh. I'll mention this that happened across Night One and Night Two because it's kind of a smaller thing. But at the start of Night One, we had a six man tag of Tenzan. Kojima and Tanahashi taking on the United Empire uh, to set up also the fact that the next night we were going to have Kojima and Tenzan against Cobb and Osprey and then uh, Tanahashi defending the Never title against uh, Great Okan. It was basically what I think we really expected from this kind of match. You had uh, Osprey and his United Empire won on the first night, but then the second night Kojima and Tenzan actually got the win over Cobb and Osprey, which uh, surprised me. And also the fact it was a Cobb that took the pin, because he, at one point, took a brain buster from Kojima, which was impressive, and then Kojima hits Cobb with a lariat, and they got kind of the upset win, which kind of implies maybe this isn't over. Maybe Kojima and Osprey will meet again at some point in the uh, the New Japan Cup. Yeah, I mean, like the, the win on the, night, the second night was very surprising, although it didn't help It didn't help Tenzan um, using not his new Mongolian chops. You know, they're not the same as the ones that he lost a match to stop him from bloody using. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're they're called Osaka chops, apparently, according to them, or they can be called Korean chops or any kind of chops. It's just not Mongolian chops. And then also the fact that it says like, oh yeah, Osprey and uh, Copper doing the chops. I'm yeah, like, yeah, anybody in New Japan can do them, just not Tencent. Like, so it's not so that match wasn't really about Okan winning the right to use them. It's just the fact that Tencent lost the right to do it, which kind of makes me think that New Japan immediately realised like this kind of stipulation is pretty much bollocks into him. I mean, uh, like, there's just some things that you just can't really take away from someone like it, like telling Tanahashi can't do the sling blade or Okada is not allowed to do well actually he did pretty much do like no using the Rainmaker but you get the idea <laughs> yeah I, I, I do like to double tip never mind uh, there is going to be a kind of a I said about Osprey and Kojima meeting in the New Japan Cup I just said uh, double tip the bracket it's actually going to be Colvin Kojima have actually been paired together in the first round so I think obviously that's partly why this this happened the way it did, and that they and that they wanted to keep this going into the tournament. And what's quite interesting is I thought uh, after World Tag League, Okan and Cobb are going to be the tag team of the group, but I think they've been implying that it's going to be Cobb and and Osprey going for the titles. And I actually wouldn't mind seeing them fight God, and if even if they won the titles, they could keep this thing going. But they have been challenged by Kojima and Tenzan. They then have the definitive one for the Empire and actually make them seem like a strong faction. Yeah, because that's United Empire's momentum seems very start and stop. And when you compare like Osprey's position right now within things to where he was, even just going back, like to like late last year before he started, that he done the turn. It feels like a completely different. It feels like he's lost his way in the pecking order almost a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's actually a better team him and Cobb. Because you've got Osprey, you know, the more athletic one, and then you've got the powerhouse thing called. We can also do kind of athletic moves. Like, there was a spot, I think it was, Kojima uh, and Hiroshi Tanashi teaming up with, uh, I believe it was Yotasuji, who the Empire were kind of tried to coax over to their side uh, on one of the Road 2 shows. And I think it was Kojima, or I can't remember which one of the face team was, but they flipped Osprey over, who got caught by Cobb, but the guy didn't see it. And so when he turned around, uh, Cobb threw him back, and Osprey had a an off cutter in midair. So those are kind of like the tag moves that you could see those two pulling out. 
Yeah, I love that. Pretty much, I was calling it the yeet cutter because he yeeted him to do that. <laughs> totally. But after we had that match, they basically billed night one of Castle Attack as Chaos versus Bullet Club because we had five singles matches. Also, one of the t- matches had something on the line, but the others were all just special singles matches and outside of, say, like a tournament. It's very rare in New Japan on like, a big card to see so many singles matches on one card that haven't got anything on the line. They're just special singles matches. Yeah, it was uh, it was like, something I didn't really expect. But, you know, when you see the, the running theme of it being Chaos V's Bullet Club, it, it actually worked out fairly well by the end of it, you know, it, it, there was a few of the matches which maybe could have been better, but overall I found the quality was still enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Also, a big thing about Castle the most important thing, not about the title matches or Chaos versus Bullet Club or what the hell's going on with the Empire, the biggest thing that happened is that on the English, live English commentary, big fucking Gino was back. <laughs> <laughs> Gino was back, wow. and... I think it was night two, he said possibly one of the funniest lines I've ever heard him say in commentary. And it was Kevin Kelly talking about Dick Togo, and then Gino just out of nowhere goes, come on, Kevin, everyone needs a little bit of dick in their lives. (laughs) Uh, Ah, big Gino. I also, at the end of night two, I believe, went, Kevin, I've got some breaking news. I am sadly not going to be in this year's New Japan Cup. I'm like, oh, but maybe, maybe you'll still be in best of Super Juniors. Like, maybe. <laughs> but like I even missed you when I watched that I just in all caps like Gino's back, yes just all caps. Oh, it was so good it's so great. They had the band back together and just you know, I've I've missed hearing Gino's voice. He really is actually really funny in commentary and he he, he knows his stuff, so you know, it's a win. Yeah, Gino does really offer a lot. He is gonna be apparently on the commentary alongside Chris Trott and Kevin Kelly for the New Japan uh, anniversary show. Not sure what's going to happen with the New Japan Cup. I assume most of it would be uh, either by himself or maybe hopefully with Gino or Rocky. Uh, but hopefully we'll get them back with Chris Charlton uh, maybe at the New Japan Cup final. But the, uh, the first two matches were setting up for the night two tag team title match where we had Yoshihashi taking on Tangaloa and Tamatonga taking on Hiroki Koso. And it was quite interesting because uh, the first match went a bit longer than the other where you had uh, Tangaloa beating Yoshiashi in about 12 minutes. He put up a good effort, but as Dasher Tamatonga came out, he seen that Tangaloa actually, as big as he is, he kind of needs some help to put away uh, Yoshiashi, where he put him away with the island driver, where he, I think ape shit he calls it, in about 12 minutes. But then Hiroki Gold came out immediately, and they pretty much started the, uh, the match with Goto up straight away. But Goto managed to pick up the win and keep his like, unbeaten run ag- going against Tamatonga in singles matches because Sujashi came and basically said, like, you're not doing the same thing you did to me in this match, and that helped Goto pick up the win around six minutes, I think, according to the website. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, like Tangaloa, to show how much a tag specialist is, if I remember hearing correctly from the stats, this is only like the second ever singles match he's done in New Japan since like joining like 2016. So it's it's quite a big deal in that extent, and I, I, I think it really showed the fact that like, Tangaloa does not get enough credit. You know, the gorillas are kind of Tama feels like the front man, but like Tangaloa has just got the whole package, and that ape shit finisher is absolutely beautiful when he hits it. Yeah, that kind of set out originally a pile driver. I remember Rikishi when he first debuted the Rikishi character for a few months was doing that move, and then 
when they started using the sink face, they stopped using that move because it was a bit too serious. I move mean, for a guy who rubs his arse in people's faces, but it is a move that I'm surprised not enough people are, are doing. Uh, that I moved before Tango Lowe brought it back, and it's good for him to have his own kind of unique like, singles finisher. It helps set him apart and stand out from his brother, because we all know how good um, Tonga can be in the singles matches we've seen with um, versus Goto. And I think you could tell it's kind of either go one and one to kind of give you some like, doubt what way will it go when we get to the title match night two. Uh, this is like how cocky Tangolo was going in and saying like, well, don't bother buying tickets night two if you're desperate to see a tie title match because I'm going to make sure that Yoshihashi doesn't make it. But then in the end, as I said, he needed help to to put away Yoshihashi. Yeah, I mean, like, like of the two, the two matches, I thought the Tangolo one would end up being the shorter one, but it was actually pretty much twice as long as the full. Mm-hmm. It, it, it done it, it done its job for the whole point of the story, you know. Both teams kind of came into it with a win for night two, rather than there being a definitive. So it did leave things kind of open, saying, "Well, you know, this could go either way in night two. There's not anyone that's clearly got the momentum." Yeah, they have really put over the fact that since last year when they won the six band tag deals, not only has Yoshashi gotten better and like had this kind of thing of not staying down, no matter how much she gets beat down by likes of the Grills of Destiny, but I mean, go over performing better as a team, given the fact that they beat. Grosadesi back in the uh, in the World Tag League, and also now both of them. Not only have they both, he's not only has Ushashi pinned now both members of GOD, but now both Goto and Ushashi have gotten wins against Tamatonga right before their big title match. So you now they're getting in the head of their opponents. But then after the uh, the break and like cleaning of the ring, we got a uh, one match that had something on the line. It was the King of Pro Wrestling 2021 Provisional Trophy. The YTR strap match between Yano and the Texas heavyweight champion uh, Chase Owens, and basically the idea was that Chase Owens wanted a strap match because, or a Texas strap match, sorry, because you know he's all Texas and that now. Whereas Yano said, "I'll take a strap match, but a YTR strap match, which is basically you're tied together and instead of like back in the old days where you touch all four corners, you had to remove all four corner pads. Whoever removed the final corner pad is the winner, and." It went. Not only did it go longer than your traditional Yano match, it was a lot more violent than you'd expect a Yano match to be. Yeah, there was actually like some spots with the strap. I was like, wait, wait Yano must be getting paid overtime for this um, on top of his <laughs> overly long en- entrance like, introduction. But, you know, Chase Owens, the, the, the Texas heavyweight champion, who he won it from, we do not know. Where's the footage? Kevin Kelly can't find it. <laughs> Yeah, because apparently like, all I can see is that he was presented it by Tom Pritchard, but it doesn't say any, give other information. Because before he came out with it, it was pretty much retired, that belt. And I think Kevin Kelly or Chris Chatham, one of the two of them, said, have we got a Rio de Janeiro situation here? Referencing, obviously, Pat Patterson, the infamous uh, fake tournament for, to crown on the first Intercontinental Champion. I, was absolutely, I loved that little touch. I was like, that's properly going into your, your old-school wrestling history, pulling that one out there. and Yeah. The, the, but like this, this match itself, it was completely different from a Yano match. I think because of the strap, meaning they're always together, and it, it did make for some fantastic spots. And some of the hits, like they, they really leathered seven shades out of each other with that strap. Yeah, because you had them like they were on opposite sides of a six man the next night, and you could see on both of them, like especially after the drip, Yano show, like they had like the bruises from the night before. A really sick marketing campaign of trying to get numbers for his Twitch, where Chase Owens only up to it said. For every new subscriber to my Twitch, 
I'll 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 be one whip with the strap for you, I know. And so he just gets the well and beating him and beating him with the to the point point where they go over the barricade or like Chase goes over the barricade because you're not allowed to fight in uh, the crowd more on that in the next match, but the strap was through the barricade, so Chase is pulling on it and driving Yano into the barricade, which was quite cool, I thought. And also, you had the spot with the concrete being exposed and even the ring bell coming to Chase as a weapon. But I will say, actually, I think Chase Owens got robbed here because he untied part of the first, the final one and then got cut off. Yano managed to get in and undo the final bit and take it off. Like, he... He basically, it's the thing of like, he someone opens a jar for you, he said, I listened that. She someone's listened that for you. Like, Yano winning in most typical Yano fashion, where someone else does most of the heavy lifting for him and he just swoops in right then for the glory. <laughs> the thing is that, like, he defended against Satsuma Jr. in kind of a traditional match, but he won by count out. But then he had the match with, uh, was it Farley, was it, which was about to, you know, the corner pads. Is this going to be. What Yano's uh, matches are about now, because you got this, which I did the strap match into. Like, what kind of variation of uh, of taking off the corner pad matches can I have throughout my run as KOPW twenty twenty one champion? You know, exploding corner pad match, <laughs> like a table match where you drive someone through a table so that they're not down and can't stop you from untying all the corner pads. It's it is it's actually like yeah, you're right. Actually, like there's all these little stipulations in the Yano matches, and I'm like. Where where are we going with this? Like, what is going to happen next, and who is going to dethrone him? Because I, I get the feeling he's eventually going to lose it this year. I don't think he's going to keep it the whole year. But it's who takes it. Like, who's got the right kind of attitude and gimmick to do it? I'd personally like it to be Taguchi, so I could see some sort of ass-related stipulation. <laughs> yeah, I think I, th- I do think he said the right kind of opponents where he said. He's went up against like says he's you know the ultra like serious wrestler going after this kind of what's well, kind of almost been used up until this like very brutal match like a comedy prop, and then you have this thing with Farley where he's putting on the extra weight so he can get slammed and then kind of stealing the one from Chase Owens. So he's had the like the right opponents up until this point, which makes it very interesting to see who he is going to face next. I think hopefully we'll he'll set something up through the New Japan Cup uh, down the line, but. We go into uh, the semi-main event match I was looking forward to on night one, which was too late taking on Tomohiro Ishii. And as I was saying before, that they couldn't, they weren't allowed to fight in the crowd, and they were wondering there could be serious consequences if that happened. He kept having Jay White going into the the crowd during the road show, and then on this show, try to lure Ishii in so that Ishii would get in trouble. Yeah, I absolutely like Jay, Jay White back to being full out Jay White. Absolute top level shithousery, and you got to <laughs> love to see it. You got to love it. Uh, they did kind of present it as like he needs to beat Ishii to kind of get past like the issues he's had because like he blames Ishii for what happened. Because if he'd beaten Ishii, he would have went to the final of the G1 and he wouldn't have had to like get to Wrestle Kingdom the way he should have because he wouldn't have got to the final. And then like he has a thing where he beat. He, he pushed you for the the briefcase, but he still got into the main event anyway, and he lost to Bush on night two. And the idea of like, if I'd won the G one in the first place and not had to win the briefcase, Bush wouldn't have been in Wrestle Kingdom in the first place, and I would have been the double gold champion. And then when he's at his lowest, he loses to Ishii again. So this whole thing, but you know, he really blames. He's looking for somebody to blame, and he blames Ishii for it. And also, kind of like Ishii kind of brought this on himself because he said to him like, "Go away, get yourself." Right, and then come back. 
and they did, and it was me, Julie Felt, and they did. <laughs> so that's it. When Jay came back, he's made Ishii's target the whole way through. They failed to get the six man tag belts, but it's, it was still never over. And Jay White, sort of like, some of the, like this match was just brilliant. And it just again shows Ishii puts on fantastic matches with pretty much anyone, and Jay White's suplex game is still at the top, especially that regal plex of his. It's beautiful. Yeah, he had some really interesting thoughts. He had, like, like he, he, he does a version of a network on the outside. Uh, do you know, I know he, like, he picks up, like, commentate the heel members of the, the roster, especially the club, and he does, like, comes out these lines, like, the Doki Choki and all that, but he, he provided some really good analysis, like, at the start of the match, saying about how he's got that low center of gravity. He works face best in the center, and Jay has to bring him towards the ropes and not going to the center where he's most comfortable, because if he brings him there, then Ishii might have Jay's number. And then he had the classic, you know, him going after the ribs of Ishii because obviously it's hard for him to breathe and then every movie does is just agony. Uh, I think they had a real cool exchange of like trying to avoid each other's signature moves. G even hits a, a brain buster. Ishii's like made move. Also, at one point, Ishii like stops G from using the low blow while the rest is trapped as you typically would see him do. But as I assume it would happen, even though it was a great match after 25 minutes, Jay manages to finally connect with the Blade Runner on Ishii and now he's on a clearer path, probably now making him a favourite to go into the to go on and win the New Japan Cup. Yeah, I mean the match was brutal at the point uh, the, the pop-up headbutt that Ishii delivered to Jay was brutal mm-hmm. looking and as Jay's calling it he is ready for the new J-Pan Cup. So, <laughs> you know we've, we've had the J1, we now have the new J-Pan Cup Let's see where else he, he's he's going to take this the, these pun related names for events because I'm I'm quite liking this. Well, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to have to try and find himself a partner, maybe Kenta. He can compete in the world in the world J League or something like that, or the <laughs> J Tag League or whatever, something like that. I'm trying to, I'm doing my best. I'm not as clever as Jay White, clearly. So, uh, but what a match! What a match! What a match! It could have easily been invented, but it was made invented by. Uh, two other people who are going to be in the New Japan Cup. It was like a rematch of last year's New Japan Cup final. We actually remembered the uh, Evil taking on Okada. They've been teasing this match for the longest time. And Okada, you had them trying to use the, the money club as he often does. You have Dick Togo on the outside helping to expose the corner pad. Uh, you had they had them commenting them saying that how Okada's saying like Evil style has changed where he's People are looking at Dick Togo and how he's getting involved. Like people should be looking at Evil for himself, whereas Evil's trying to justify that his style is the right way. Also, he's using all sorts of uh, shenanigans. But what is interesting is that I wasn't sure if we were going to see the Rainmaker again for a while after he hit that on Will Osprey. But he he hit it on Evil. He got him the win, and the crowd did make some uh, a bit of noise. Yeah, I mean that that's like you know Okada's money clip, which is by far one of the most dull and boring finishes that I've ever seen in wrestling in the last several years because the crowd just dies with it. But you know, like Okada, he came into this with a bit of personality. Like this kind of fired up Okada, like he was getting pissed off at Evil in the run up to this. So it, it was it was a it was a good match. I still think it would have been better with White and Ishii headlining it, but mm-hmm. you know. Okada is the golden boy, usually gets the top spot. Um, it, it, it was The result kind of went the way I thought it was going. I didn't see Evil picking up another clean win. Well, I didn't see him getting a clean win over Okada. Yeah, I think it was also because they wanted Chaos to win this whole series. Because uh, going into it, it was 2-2. Two, two. 
for each faction. And so I was like, okay, I'm going out on top means the big face faction wins overall. And so if Jay went out, it would have meant that the heels maybe would have won or they would have to have done something weird with the order because also they wanted Chaos to win. But, you know, it was a good match. I'm sure people also reacted to the way they did in the arena because they, they weren't sure, like myself, how, when we were going to see the Rainmaker again. Uh, Dick Togo does try to get involved, as I said, but he gets a tombstone for his troubles. And also, okay, I think was trying to try something new, but I think he was going for some third version of a Michinoku driver, but he clearly couldn't get Evil up the way he should have because that looked like he was one step away from dropping Evil on his neck. Yeah, that, that, that moment had me feeling a little bit uncomfortable. I was like, don't drop him, don't drop him, don't drop him. Yeah. I was kind of oof, and I'm glad that wasn't really the finish because then after that, shortly after that, they went into the Rainmaker sequence, which made up for it. But I did mention the New Japan Cup before. Uh, also, Okada had that lingering issue where also he lost to Evil because of Bullet Club getting involved, and then uh, Evil officially joined them shortly after the match. So he's kind of put that behind him now, and now he's looking forward to this New Japan Cup. He even got a promo afterwards, basically giving his intentions to win the tournament. And uh, a fun thing I learned about on about Dokara and the New Japan Cup is that he's technically 2-1 and one now in the New Japan Cup where he won it in 2013, won it in 2019 and then last year lost to Evil so he's 2-1 and one. and this is like three straight years he's been in the tournament and the commentators were said how surprised they were by that because between these two wins he was never in the New Japan Cup because usually when the time that tournament happened he was the champion. Yes, I mean it does leave a very like sort of an unpredictable like sort of, will he actually win the New Japan Cup? Will he not? He's got some tough competition, which when we get to that point, we'll cover that. But it's him and Jay White are definitely strong contenders for the cup. There's no denying it. Yeah, I've I, I've thought before. I even had my notes that these those two are two of the favourites, and they are on opposite sides of the bracket. So you know, I would not count that out as a potential final for this, but. We go into night two. We already talked about the opening uh, tag team match. We also had a, a six-man tag match with uh, the three participants of the last three matches. We had Chase, Evil, and Jay taking on Yano, Ishii, and Okada. Okada got the for his team tapping now. Jay's the one with the, uh, the money because I don't think there's really much more you can add to that. It's just basically continuing on from the, the other three. It was one of the ones where it was weird. That's why we were so confused about all the single matches on one night because Usually you'd have this start six man tag on the first night and then have the three singles matches the following night, but it was weird. It was a weird way of doing things. Yeah, it was just one of those things that, you know, it, it, did it really need to be there? Could they have maybe just sacrificed that and put something else on? It, it was just there. <laughs> yeah, that was just there because the next few matches after we had four straight title matches, which was a big draw for night two of a castle attack we had. I didn't really talk about their singles matches a lot much because it was all set up for this which is what I really want to talk about, the IWGP title match with uh, Yoshiashi and Goto taking on Tango and Tamatonga. We got some interesting stats before the match started where in Osaka, the GOD had last lost in, the, in Osaka, had not lost in a single title match in Osaka since 2016, but they also said that in Osaka, the, the odds of the titles changing like out of the last 12 or so times they've been defending Osaka, they changed times seven times, so more than 50%. And also the fact that Yoshihashi and Koto had like beaten them in the past in like in the World Tag League, so it felt like they were setting up for the the challengers. Had they like, statistically they had the odds in their favour, and you had Yoshihashi getting dominated by God and that, and like they're saying like, "Come on, where's that fighting spirit of yours? 
but then also they got annoyed when he eventually wouldn't uh, stay down because eventually Thomas Hong just yelled him, why won't you just die? <laughs> that was hilarious, just like the, the sheer frustration. And, and like that, it's like, okay, why won't you die? Just like, it's like the old Austin Powers moment all over again. I know. Jado tries to get involved, but then he gets that big war drum to the back on him. Uh, Gino claims that uh, that Jado is in such good shape he could be getting ready for Mr. Universe uh, this year. Uh, they hit the magic killer on Yoshiashi, but uh, is not enough to keep him down. Then set up for the Super Powerball, which weirdly, more than 50% of the times that he's trying to hit Super Powerball, it usually gets countered somehow. And I, I maintain that it's because uh, Jado shouts Super Powerball before they did it. If they didn't do that, they'd be more successful with it. Yeah, it's like J- Jado always shouting it. It's the most, it's the most pointless. It, it, it's almost as obvious as when you used to be able to hear John Cena call his damn matches when you watch telly. Or like when Randy Orton is your get up before he hits you, like, oh, he's fucking stomping on the mat. Like, can you not hear that? It's like, can you not hear that? Can you not feel that bloody mat vibration? Come on. Uh, what's, what's cool about Yoshiashi and Goto is that they've actually, in the time they've been together, they've developed some really cool looking like tag team maneuvers like together where they, they feel like a good, a real tag team. Like they've got the assisted like GTR across with the jaw going across Goto's knee, but then they have the alternate version which is kind of a network or powerbomb combo. I think the GYR they call it. Yeah, like th- their actual offense together is is fantastic, and you know, for all the times that I completely slag off Yoshihashi for not having a personality, he is. I don't know what it is, but there is something about these big situations where he can get himself quite fired up and actually be really good and fun to watch. I always mm-hmm. think it's just an inconsistent thing that if he's not got a big situation for it, he just kind of always looks a wee bit confused to be there. Yeah, and then. I think B1 Koto and then by extension ECE as well has really done wonders for him. Yeah, they got a big win, I think, on a big multi man tag against Bullet Club and the Leap to this with a big exchange of moves like, like GYR, double knee, sliding ladder, all these like combinations and moves together. They had a couple of their big moves on DOD, but it got broke out, it wasn't enough. Uh, DOD trying to use the, the tag titles as a weapon at one point as well, and when the river isn't looking, it's not a tag move that ends it, it's Jado hitting Goto in the back with a candlestick and Tama Songa immediately takes advantage with a gun stun for the win and they immediately get the hell out of there. DOD once again retain the tag titles and I'm assuming that they'll maybe set up a new challenger for the Master of the Japan Cup. I, like I said, I wouldn't mind it being Cobb and Osprey. Yeah, I, I think I think your money, my money would be on with, with you there. It's either going to be Osprey and Cobb or possibly Ten Cozy um, as your next challengers. Could be. I mean, um, there's still kind of some unfinished business with uh, Dangerous Techers because that Tibber Jr. kind of wasn't really active a lot during the Castle Attack. He had Taishi pop up occasionally on the commentary team for the Japanese commentary. So, like, but ZHG is going to be obviously in the, uh, in the New Japan Cup. So maybe maybe they'll try and come back and say, oh, we want our, our rematch. It wasn't fair what happened the way it went down with you guys taunting Taichi with the, the iron fingers and everything. Yeah, that's it. Like, we'll see what happens there. You know, like hopefully they won't do another thirty-minute EQ because as much as I enjoyed that, I know everyone else didn't. <laughs> <laughs> also, talking about uh, Japanese commentary at the end of night two, yeah, you cut to the Japanese commentary while you're hearing the the team like wrap up the show. Uh, you've got you've got Makabe sitting on the Japanese commentary team, and uh, you hear you, uh, Gino going, "What's what's Guy Fieri doing sitting there with Milano?" <laughs> 
yeah, that beard of Maccabees just came out of nowhere. I was like, what is this? This is a completely <laughs> different, like, it, it, his beard actually reminds me a little bit of the way Jay White's was when it was growing, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, Jay White, when he started growing, he said it was weird. It was like some kind of weird pirate with the way his beard was coming in. I thought so. <laughs> and, like, no, I'm not trying to, like, flag them off it too much, but when I seen that the Never Open Weight title match was going on before the Junior Heavyweight title match, I did breathe a sigh of relief. I knew the Junior title match was going to be, like, a match of the night uh, candidate. And so I didn't want the, the Never title to kind of go before it, even though I love that title. Um, well, I was still hesitant about how the match was going to be, considering Great Okan was involved. And then you had to also the added tension of Shinsun Yanigans, because even though he didn't come out with the Empire and the Empire didn't get involved, uh, you had Yota Suji on the outside, who's almost kind of been looking like trying to get noticed by uh, Kanashi, where he wanted team of the team of them in the World Tag League, but he didn't get to. And like Okan and I were trying to lure him to the Empire. So the opportunity, like he looked like he was teasing that he was going to hit uh, Tanahashi, or like he was going to hand a chair to Okan, but then he slid it to like Tanahashi instead. I absolutely loved that, just that. Like, you could see the grin on his face when he'd done that, and it's absolutely outstanding, the, the reaction to it. And, you know, I know, like, you're not the biggest fan of Okan, a lot of you aren't. I, I thought this was Okan's best showing yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a lot better than he, his previous match, but obviously, going into it, you know, he had the match with uh, with Maccabee at uh, New Beginning, which, wasn't his, which was his best match to date, but... Uh, Situation as it was pointed out didn't really mean anything in the end, and then also the Okada and Tanashi who we faced before those matches weren't the best. So I was cautiously optimistic. I'll put it that way when I saw that this match was happening, especially given that like I said that uh, Okada didn't uh, beat Tanashi at WrestleMania, but then somehow obviously became Billy Big Boss after he beat Tenzai and said, "I can fight you again this time. I'm going to win a belt," and then. Honestly, then he lost again. I think it was, it was better this time the way he lost because also the way Tanashi kind of stole it with a, with a crucifix pin. But I was kind of hesitant because even though I didn't necessarily want him to win a belt this soon, it was one of those things like, well, what happens to Okan if he doesn't win? Because we'll get to him later on, but I've seen who his first round opponent is in the New Japan Cup and I'm not optimistic, but I'm there either. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> What's weird is that he's not incorporating the Mongolian shots as much since they won the right to use them. Uh, but instead, he was using more like submission moves going after legs because they said he's got this background in like amateur wrestling. And all that. And then you had these counters, the way Tanahashi got like the uh, counter, one of these moves into the sling blades, and then he got the aces high. And like that was around about the 15 minute mark. He could have easily put it away there, I felt. But he kept it going another five minutes and more shenanigans. And then I was like, I said, the cruise rate bomb. Uh, Tanashi wins and like Chris Shelton said like at first it felt like uh, Tanashi didn't take the belt seriously but after fighting with Shingo he takes the belt very seriously and I think once uh, the US belt starts coming over to Japan uh, in the next couple of months but I think the new, I think the US belt is going to come over to Japan occasionally for like big shows and I think it's going to be the main belt for New Japan Strong in the US shows But so I think the junior heavy and the never belt especially Given what happened in the main event, are going to end up being like such like the semi-main event matches from now on. So I think looking at it, it's probably the smartest decision to put uh, Tanahashi have Tanahashi have the never built for now. Yeah, it was definitely like, Tanahashi. If it wasn't going to be Shingo, continue it. Tana keeping a hold of it for a while. 
it does build into the fact that the people that are holding it recently are all very credible. There's no really any duff champs. I mean, you're looking at Shingo, Suzuki, Tanahashi. They're all big. They've all had storied careers with a lot going for them. It really makes the belt more important by doing that. Mm-hmm. I was going to talk about something to do with Tanahashi, to do the... Uh, I was going to mention something about Tanahashi that relates to the New Japan Cup, but I'll, I'll save off because we've only got a couple of matches left. But when we went to the match that I was most looking forward to and it it was El Desperado versus ELP versus Bushi. I call him ELP because there's two, there's two people with L as part of their, their name, which is too many for one match. I think El Fantasma and El Desperado. But I was really looking forward to going, going into this and they even pointed out the last time the junior heavyweight title defending a triple threat was actually MSG when it was Ishimori versus Dragon Lee versus Bandido, and I'm like, oh, geez, I remember that. That was a, that was a hell of a match, so I was looking forward to that. And then, obviously, before that, you had that four-rate risk in the 12th. So, yeah, the junior weight tail seems to be one of the few tails that actually does get the occasional like, multi-band match for it. Yeah, I think the junior junior slash cruiserweight style really suits well to multi-man matches because the pace never really slows down, and when you have these three involved... They all bring their own thing to the table. Bushy's very tactical. ELP is an absolute shite bag. And <laughs> El Desperado is he, he's, he's, he's very much a powerhouse in the same way that like Sho and Shingo were. Like, even though he doesn't look as big as the two of them, he has got a lot of strength in him. You have El Fantasma in this match being an absolute shithouse, as he usually is. You know, he does at that spot where... Uh, Desperado's leaning across the top rope and does a splash onto him. The brawl to the outside, also no counter, and a triple threat. And then he rips, not only does he rip off uh, Desperado's mask, where it, to which, you know, Gamil's just, we're going to get to see beautiful Despy again. Also, like, calling <laughs> back to the fact that having him best studios where we've all seen how handsome he truly is. But he hit him with a cradle pile driver on the ramp, and then not only grabbed the mask and wore the half stripped mask to uh, down back, back down the ramp. And there's even a point where like he's ripping the mask and the crowd go <clears throat> and uh, this and ELP not missing a beat looked at all the mice, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> I thought that was outstanding, like the, the fact that it was one of those in moments that drew a reaction that people could not control. And yeah, like like the image of him walking back and ring that half torn mask and that like, oh, that cradle pile driver was vicious. Absolutely. Like the, the intent within that, that was like trying to kill someone. And, mm-hmm. It was, it, it really did like that match was just going hell for leather. Some of the, the high flying, like the, the, the massive sort of splash dive onto the outside from ELP onto the onto Bushy and El Desperado was just, there's like a perfect picture of it in its mid. And you can actually see every time ELP does this dive, he always does the two sweets with both his mm. hands and he's in midair. And it is just an iconic image and it is nuts because I'm like, that's pretty high up. That's pretty fast. I'd be shitting myself. And there was also there was a run about uh, said by Chris Charlton that obviously EOP is from Canada, and he pointed out that you know Canadians don't usually have a good track record with you know title matches in this city. Owen Hart and Kenny Omega's first reigns as IWGP junior heavyweight champions kind of ended in this and this venue, and I'm like, huh, the run of that. But thank you for that, Chris. Uh, what was also interesting is that it was kind of good that they took out Desperado for a little while because it gave a chance to be one-on-one and give Bushy a chance to shine and also for, say, further hate ELP very smug he is. 
later on he even pulls out the, the sales class again, even goes for the, the one wind angel, but it's countered. But this Brado comes back and he's got another mask, which they claim, oh, maybe they went back to the locker room and got a spare mask that he must have had in his bag. <laughs> but Gino goes, did he grow a mask on his face? And I, I, part of me kind of wishes he just came back down with his face partly painted, like, with just, just show his face for the rest of the match. Let beautiful death baby shown. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I was surprised when he came back, and there's like, a, there's a little fun, fun thing in the uh, the post match comments about about said mask where El Desperado was a little bit frustrated by having to change mask because it meant he could not have a drink after the match because his mouth was covered. <laughs> <laughs> he was not amused by that. <laughs> but Desperado comes back and he's uh, he's going right after ELP. ELP does hit the Sunday on Bushu, but then gets punched right in the mouth. Desperado, who hits not one but two a uh, Pinchy Locos, and the, for, the, for the first time since I believe Kushida did it, uh, El Desperado is both IWGP Junior Tag and Junior Heavyweight uh, Singles Champion at the same time. I knew it was a possibility going into this, but I thought it'd be Hiromu or ELP doing it, but I didn't think we'd see Desperado coming uh, out with two belts, which I think kind of Hiromu's loss is Desperado's game because. You know, he's been one of the most talented people, I think, since like over the last six to eight months because he had that match with Shingo. Re- he and kind of are regained the junior tag titles, had a hell of a run, the junior, best of super juniors, and then this match, and then what he's got coming up because we knew regardless of the outcome of the main event, which is for the IC title, it would now be him versus Ibushi at the anniversary. So we'll talk more about what's been added to that later on. But just when you see this, what are your thoughts about Desperado winning? And then the idea of him versus Ibushi, how interesting is that to you? This one to me is massive because, I mean, like we've mentioned it before, talking about back at Best of Super Juniors, you know how big a fan I am of El Desperado and I've felt that he's deserved. This is his first singles um, title in New Japan and it is a pretty big deal to me that he has finally got it. Um, after the fact that like the first time he came in and went for it is against, well, we were just talking about Ibushi back in 2014. So, you know, history. History. It's there. Yeah. I think they've even put up that match on their on New Japan World right now. There's also a match that was put up in the same time. It's those two actually teaming together to fight the Young Bucks for the junior tag titles. So, you know, they have quite a history, but now, you know, Ibushi, you see where he's going on to. And that was a really interesting match because, like, I thought, like, oh, all the possibilities of Ibushi with any of the juniors, given he, he was a junior at one point himself. Like, Ibushi with Hiromu, with Desperado, with even Show, if Show won at New Beginning, but MV Desperado shows a new, like, dynamic, given that they do have history, and also that Desperado's on this hell of a run. And what was interesting is, like, he had the two belts, the junior tag belt coming out with him, not just his own. So he then had to put those back on his shoulder and then carry the. The junior weight title, right? So he had like three belts, and even though he's only technically a double champion, so it was nice to see Desperado with all those, all that, all that silver technically because the silver belts for the juniors. Yeah, starting to starting to look like the the early formation of Ultimo Dragon. Mm-hmm. I, I I would be. I love to see Desperado going around. We're just collecting all the belts, getting that big run where he's, or he get he comes to a Kanemaru. Even though it's a singles match, he just gets all the members of Suzuki Gun to carry his belts for him. That would be a brilliant one. <laughs> be like he's caddy or whatever. But 
Then we went, moved on to the main event, which was for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. Uh, what we feel to be the final ever like time that the IWGP Intercontinental Championship was defended on its own. Uh, I also made a mistake last time where I said, oh, if Naito wins, he'd be a 16 champion to pass Nakamura. He's technically already a 16 champion. I forgot when he regained the double gold uh, that it was not only that he was gaining both the heavy and Intercontinental. I forgot about the Intercontinental on that equation because when he won it from Jay White to start the double gold, that was his fifth reign. So that's so he think going to already was a 16 champion. That was my mistake. And also, apparently, Naito winning the title from Jay White was the last time that the Intercontinental title was defended on its own in a match. So yeah, the first time in over 14 months almost that this is happening. And all the process of like, maybe she wanted to unify them. You know, as the Spice Girls once said, you know, tonight is the night where two belts become one. <laughs> they, said, uh, they, said, they, said I could, they said you couldn't get a Spice Girls reference into a New Japan podcast. I say you're wrong. I proved it can be done. Oh, that was uh, bravo. That, I, I actually, that's, I, I can't even argue that one. That is fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I've left, I've been talking about all these stats. I won't go wasting your precious time. There you go. I'm at the double. We get into the match itself. The, during the Road 2 shows, they've been kind of wrestling a more map-based style whenever they came across each other in tag matches. They kind of like say, this is going to be like the times where we were feeding all the Intercontinental title a couple of years ago, where we were dropping each other in our heads. This is going to be a more map-based match. And cause the commentators even say, these guys tend to bring out the worst in each other. But And even the Conjure say, oh, was quite surprised how this is going because, you know, Nigel was the one who had the worries about his knees, but like, my knees are fine. But he was the one going after Bushy's knees in this match. Uh, was the kind of mat based like start to this a, a welcome change for you? Yeah, I actually feel um, when I look kind of look back on it because I have actually watched this match twice because I really enjoyed it that much, and I'd actually say it's one of my favourite encounters between the two of them because it just had that extra wrinkle, the extra layer. I mean, don't get me wrong, ten minutes in they kind of turned around to each other and looked and went, neck drops, neck drops, <laughs> neck drops all round. They done the old Oprah Winfrey. You get a neck drop. You get a neck drop. Everyone gets a neck drop. Absolutely mad. But the the beginning, like going Matt style and everything, it was refreshing to see these two show a different style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was a spot where uh, Bushy does that spot where you have Naito on the apron and he reaches up, he goes on the ropes and does a germ suplex back into the ring. And I'm kind of like, oh yeah, that's the that's the Bushy Naito match we couldn't expect. You know that he's had the drop on the neck and that. You have Naito hitting the Gloria uh, at one point, and then Ibushi with the Ibushi with the uh, last ride. He uh, gets caught out of nowhere with the Destino right in the centre of the ring, which makes you think, oh shit, that's it already. Uh, but obviously, one bounce there is not enough when you're fighting Kota Ibushi. Ibushi does the, the back to the back of the head, the kind of the kind of gangway execution, but that's not enough. And then he has to do it again. It looks like Naito's going to counter another attempt, but eventually, after a couple of Kamigoi, he basically after the final Kamigoi, he hits it and just there's a gift going on line. He just like dead weight, just falls like forward bumps, like flare style, flopping out onto the pin. Doesn't even hook the leg. He just falls on a. Naito is pretty much out at this point, and Ibushi retains the title, and that'll be the final time that the Argonne Championship is defended on its own. More details about that in a second, but first we must get Grant's thoughts on the finish. That bloody finish was absolutely incredible. Like the, the way he flopped down and just as soon as it hit the deck, and I was like, no bloody way. 
this was again a match where I thought the inevitable was going to be he's getting that IC belt. I honestly thought they were setting up for the, the belts to get separated. And, you know, we, we've had countless conversations over the last year about how do you separate the belts. The answer? You don't. Silly, <laughs> <laughs> not, you know. It felt like, you know, Naito didn't look on at all. Naito was trying to be like, Ibushi's being disrespectful of the sale, but Ibushi's like, you know, I'm just trying to unify these belts. You know, these belts represent the best of New Japan. Why put them together into something new, something greater? And part of this whole uh, becoming God thing, and I thought, like, yeah, it was going to be. It was. I'm sad to see the IC title not be its own thing now, because I would have liked Naito to have won and took the belt, because like it wouldn't have really hurt Abushi, because he still had the heavyweight belt and he was still the the champion, so it wouldn't have hurt. But you know, the it does mean also that the if the US belt comes back to Japan, that'll be get a higher status, and the Never belt and the IWGP Junior belt will get a higher spot on the card, so it does have its uh, benefits and. Speaking of speaking of the junior heavyweight title, we have El Desperado coming out afterwards with the, the tag belts and the junior heavyweight belt, basically confronting Ibushi. What we already knew that they were going to have this match, but they said, "Like, do you remember when we fought before seven years ago?" And Ibushi basically comes in and says, "Like, yeah, he sucked seven years ago." Uh, <laughs> shooting some uh, shooting fire from Ibushi, all and back, and then Desperado says, "I don't want the traditional, you know, junior heavyweight champion." World champion, like just non-title match. I want you to put both belts on the line, and like, Ibushi agreed. So they've announced that this is the final time he'll defend both the IWGP and a heavyweight and intercontinental belts together. Because after the anniversary show, both belts are just going to be retired. The designs are going to be retired, I think, and then we're going to have a new belt, the IWGP World Heavyweight Title. It's going to be the the new main belt going forward. The IC title is retired. A new version of the heavyweight title is coming out. Which I'm assuming will debut after either debut after the New Japan Cup right before Sakura Genesis, or maybe they'll have a, they'll reveal the title after the match anniversary show and like present it to the winner. Maybe I would love to see it get presented to the winner at the back of that. Um, I'm going for it. Hashtag Despy Four Belts. Despy Four <laughs> Belts. Make it happen. Uh, I also have a theory that part of the reason that they decided to unify the belts was the fact that we know Kota Ibushi is bad at losing things and losing where he is, so I'm thinking there's one less belt that he can possibly lose. You know, he's not going to do a Chris Jericho with it? No. Yeah, hopefully not, but I, the main reason I say about the, the unification, like having the final defence and then reveal the new belt, because it's basically like, the new belt is basically the same as the double goal, just all the characters they did in one title. And my main example would be like the Divas title, uh, Charlotte being Divas champion going into Mania 32, but then they reveal the, the new women's title and she gets that once she won the match. So it would kind of be the, the same thing for Ibushi. Uh, but, you know, I did see that one clip. It, just, it, was, it was Ibushi saying, I want the junior belt. And uh, somebody just captioned it, Ibushi must be stopped. He's got enough belts. Yeah, I, I saw that... Um... Kieran RH on Twitter that gets got a shout out from Kevin Kelly. The guy's guy's a great person to follow, just like us. And yeah, that's <laughs> like Ibushi must be stopped. He cannot be allowed to continue. Like, at what point do we have to take down a god? <laughs> can you take down a god? Desperado thinks he can, and I I love Desperado's honesty. It's like you know, yeah, I did suck back then. I don't know, so. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's all in Japanese, but I use Google Translate for it. But there's also been an interaction between Taichi and Desperado in the back of it, Ooh. which is hilarious. Desperado's yeah. like, you know, I'm going for this. And Taichi's like, 
oh yeah, well, if you beat him, I'm going for it. For I'm first in line. He's turning the Desperado's turning line. You're not going to beat me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, no honor amongst Suzuki Gun, clearly. But I am very much looking forward to it. You're hearing this all on Wednesday. That will happen on Thursday, the fourth. Uh, the New Japan anniversary show. It's kind of sad that like. I'm glad that the junior heavyweight champion is getting actually a shot at the double goal. You know, we've seen Hiromu get that against Evil. It was sad that Hiromu didn't get that against Naito when he originally wanted that for the uh, when they were meant to face at the anniversary show. They got cancelled last year because of COVID and everything. But it's nice to see that we're getting that here. And I would actually hope that maybe going forward they would say like from now on, it's not just a non-title match. From now on, whoever's the junior heavyweight champion will challenge for the title at the anniversary show because. It makes like the championship worth getting on one of the last shows before then. Kind of like option C with the X Division title, only the champion doesn't need to like, give up the belt in order to get his shot. He just has it by proxy of being the junior heavyweight champion at the time. Yeah, definitely. I can completely agree with you on that. Definitely. But but we also got to look forward to uh, on the the fourth with the anniversary show is that we have the first two matches of the New Japan Cup, which then continues the next day on the 5th and continues all the way to the finals on the 21st of March and shortly after the 21st we'll have a new episode breaking down everything that happened and talk about the winner who will eventually face the junior, the new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion at Sakura Genesis at the start of April uh, the first the bracket is as such uh, I'll mention Evil on one side of the bracket has got a buy uh, and Horst Tanahashi has got a buy on the other side of the bracket I'll talk a bit more about those two getting by in a second, but the bracket for now is Evil will face the winner of Satoshi Kojima with Jeff Cobb, uh, and that match is going to happen on the anniversary show, as is this next one. Tetsuya and Naito taking on the great Okan. See why I didn't think Okan was in for a good night in the Japan Cup. And the winner of that will face the winner of Bad Luck Valley versus Toriado. Uh, Goto will face Taichi, uh, and the winner of that will face the winner of... Okada and Shingo. Yeah, I'm just being sure I read it. I don't know. The way they went to the bracket is confusing. Yeah, Okada and Shingo, that's a good first round match. And then the last one on that side of the bracket is Kenta versus Just Robinson. The match was may happen at the at the Tokyo Dome, the right to challenge briefcase. And the winner of that will take on the winner of Honma versus Minoru Suzuki. Uh, on the other side, we've got Tenzan, Tenzan versus Will Ospreay. So continuing the Empire. Uh, Tenko's food, and the winner of that will face the winner of Gabriel Kidd versus Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, Nagata will take on Yotsuji, and the winner of that will face the winner of Sonata versus Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, Chase Owens takes on David Finlay, and the winner of that will face the winner of Yujiro Takahashi and Yoshihashi. So there's a lot of hashis in that match. And Hoshi <laughs> Tanahashi, after, as a result of getting the bye in the first round, will face the winner of Tohanare taking on Jay White. So uh, a hell of a bracket to talk about. But before that, how do you feel about Evil and, and Tanahashi getting the buys? Because Evil has been explained that it's because he won last year's New Japan Cup, which is understandable. I don't see why Tanahashi gets a buy. See, I, I, at first I was kind of confused by that, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, Moxley's not in this. Um, they're only using 30 instead of 32. Tanahashi's only reason for getting a buy is that he's got the open weight belt, which to me then actually adds a little bit of prestige to having that belt and makes him a bit of a target in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I was... think of who who he'd get in the second round, let's face it, Hanari is not beating Jay White. So if you're telling me you're going to get Tanahashi and Jay White in the second round, then it could set up a little 
queued for that open weight belt if Jay White isn't going to win the tournament. It's not the worst idea in the world. No, Ben. I just want to see you know Jay White with a belt sooner rather than later. You know, but also, but that would be a shame for Tanashi to go out. So because technically, even though it'd be like the second round, he would only have had one match if he goes out with Jay White. Because I think Jay White should be a a favor of not a winner of this tournament. And also, evil it kind of plays into his hands. You know, him being a heel and mostly last year's winner, that he gets a buy-in. If uh, Cobb lost and Kojima went through, it'd be interesting because Kojima is who Evil beat in the first round of last year's New Japan Cup, the one that he won. So that would be but also Evil versus Jeff Cobb, you know, two big guys who are kind of athletic, also athletic. So that'd be a hell of a match to see those two try and knock each other down. But uh, the one that a lot of people are talking about is the first round match of Okada versus Shingo. They've only faced off each other once. That was in the New Japan, that was in the G1 climax. I was really hoping that Shingo would win that, but he didn't. And I'm sad because after that promo that Okada cut, uh, part of me doesn't think they're going to tie the score up. I think it's sadly going to end up being 2-0 to Okada. Yeah, I mean, you look at the bracket, and in particular the bottom left, which is the whole Goto, Taichi, Okada, Shingo, Honma, Suzuki, Kenta and Juice, that bottom left corner of that bracket is ridiculously good. Like, they are really going all out there and but to me, it's the idea of Suzuki vs Kenta potentially happening in the second round. That oh. is a beautiful thought in my mind. Yeah, that is that is unbelievable. You know, Chef's gift to that, you know, and also if Okada, like Okada versus Shingo. Whoever wins, even though like it's one of those like, heart says Shingo, head says Okada. Then facing either Taichi or Roki Goto makes a lot of sense either way. In the sense that could be a sick, good second round match. Uh, Naito taking on <laughs> getting to take on more than likely Toriyado in the second round would be quite a funny like clash there between those two clashes in the G1 but also that means if Evo like, gets his second round match wins that and, and Naito goes past the second round we get to see our favourite matchup which is always Naito versus Evo not had that in a while I know it's although one thing that worries me there is um Sarah's partner Dan made a point to me of reminding me that Naito in the New Japan Cup is to put it quite bluntly pish <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough you know oh, Goto I should mention I said on that side back in you know, Goto shouldn't be counted out because even though he lost in the tie title match uh, he beat Tamatonga he's the only guy who won it three times and that includes two of, two of those three were back to back and I think he's the only guy who really do that so he's always a favourite when the Japan Cup comes around. Uh, they, we've got the possibility of an Osprey-Saxia Virginia second round match. Uh, but a match from the first round that I don't think is getting enough attention is Ishii versus Sanada. There's a match of the tournament candidate right there. Aye, two absolutely solid guys who have... Like, Sanada in ways is reminding me of Ishii at the moment. Like, you know, he's always puts on great matches, always gets a kind of shot near the top. But it's like they're hesitant to pull the trigger to actually put something on. Like they both had runs with like tag belts, but Ishii's at least had a few singles runs. I would I would love Sonada to get a shot with a singles belt and it's it's a match I'm torn on. I, I want Sonada to win that, but it's also at the same time the thought of Ishii against Nagata isn't a bad idea either. <laughs> no, totally, but also seeing Sonada v Nagata, we got to see that on the the tour. After their planned tag match got cancelled because of Naito's injury, and it ended up being Sanada versus Nagata. 
uh, on one of the shows. So we've got we've got to see that in the fact that's an interesting matchup. But if you had to say to me, like, gun to the head, who, looking at this, who's going to win? I'm still saying Jay White. And obviously the most likely like, final, I think, is Jay White versus Okada. Uh, I mean, I was looking at this back at a good like quarterfinal match that I'm hoping for is either you either have Okada versus either Kenta or Suzuki as a quarterfinal match. If you look at that side of the bracket. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the fact New Japan Cup's got a, quite often a habit of not always going for the safe bets. Not a lot of people win them multiple times, and the the two na- the two like certain names in this cup that I would love to see win it who aren't probably favourites. Um, Suzuki, because let's face it, Suzuki Vizabushi would be absolutely beautiful. Um, the way I see it is whoever wins this isn't going to beat Ibushi. It's probably going to be like use a crowning moment. The other one um, with my heart would be Tai Chi. Because mm. Tai Chi and Ibushi's kick match like last year was mm-hmm. sublime. Um, so to see them go at it again with something bigger on the line, it would be a great opportunity for Tai Chi. Yeah, we're talking about people you know who aren't going to win it. Sanada, I have a feeling he isn't going to win it. Obviously, you know that outright because he's just got his shot against Ibushi. So he'll go by, he'll go by like the second round at least. Uh, but I don't think he's going to win it. My dark horse would be Shingo to beat pretty like the upset against Okada and then run through the tournament. Now that he's no longer never champion because him v Ibushi uh, would be solid as well. That was a bit good. One of my favorite matches of the G1 A block that year. Uh, that last year that was. I do think I agree with you that whoever wins isn't going to uh, lose. Uh, I do agree with you that whoever wins isn't going to beat Ibushi for the battle. I think Ibushi's going to hold on to it to at least Dominion, at the very least. Uh, he might lose it, because that would create some intrigue going into the, the G1. But, yeah, like, part of me, like, even though I said Jay White, because you know, I, I want to see him as the, the champion, he's going to get a longer run than he got when he first won it. Yeah, I think Okada and Jay White not winning it wouldn't be a bad thing because it'd be somebody new because we've seen Ibushi versus Jay White and Ibushi versus Okada uh, a couple of several times each, so like nothing bad about getting like a new challenger. Yeah, I mean there's there's so many options to go with, like you know, like Okada keep keep him out as long as possible. I think you know you want <laughs> to build him back in, back in. He's had many a spell at the top. Um, I, I ideally think for the sake of story and booking a heel New Japan Cup winner makes sense because we've got a really big big face champ at the moment. Mm-hmm. Looking at, but looking at the heel side, I think like you mentioned uh, Suzuki, that'd be cool. I mean, if Kenta won, that'd be, as a heel, that'd be interested. Zack Sabre Jr., he's a previous winner, so like, I'm just kind of looking at the heel side other than, you know, Jay White. You know, I could see New Japan trying to like help build the empire up and give it to Osprey. Not sure how I'd I'd feel about that. I mean, even though Bushi versus Osprey would be a hell of a match, I'm not sure I'd feel about him winning it. But that's the good thing about previewing the New Japan Cup as opposed to the G1 because the G1 thinks, well, G1, you think like, well, that guy's not going to beat him. He has a chance to beat that guy, or he could be up against him. Whereas this is like a single elimination thing, so it's like this guy is going to get to this stage, or if he doesn't beat him, this guy, he's done. Yeah, it's definitely that. I, I think. It's, it's getting harder to call the New Japan Cup these days because they keep expanding the bloody size of it. I, I remember the days when it was a lot more simple and it was a smaller tournament and there is people argue this online. I, I follow it on Twitter and some people argue, do we need the field to be this big? Could we cut out all of these guys and have a smaller field and make it more tightly contested? Probably. 
But at the same time, New Japan are clearly wanting to try and recoup their money from what they've lost during the pandemic. And part of what you need to do that is put on as many shows as possible, which they're doing successfully. Yeah. And you look at the tours that they have through the, the, the various bands, I think, some of the longer term extends number of shows you can do in March, makes March feel fuller. And you don't have to do it that long a, a, long a road to secure a Genesis tour because you know, it's like 21st of March, boom, you got your New Japan Cup winner and you only have a few shows leading up to secure a Genesis. So you don't have to wait that long to see the winner face the bushy. So I think an idea of like giving like the guy, a lot of the guys and the fans something to look forward to in March. I don't mind doing that because, you know, it's the same for like the G1 in July, August time usually where it's something to look forward to for that particular month or the usually the uh, Super Juniors in May or June. So I don't mind. I think actually it makes March more like something to look forward to and you don't have to pad out the, the month with like pointless road two shows that we only ever talk about if something interesting happens. Yeah, and I mean, when, when you look at things, I mean, the, like you're, you're barely a week uh, for the road to Sakura Genesis, then before you know it, like when we're going into April, then May, we're on the road to Don- wrestling Dontaku again, which is taking place in May. And I've even taken those. And there's a, an, another event I don't think I've ever remember seeing before, which is wrestling Satsuma no Kuni, which is happening at the end of April. So they're. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they're, you know, like we're, we're talking March at the moment, and we're already like got a schedule lined up pretty much to run us till May. Like we. we and that is not including any possible developments in New Japan Strong and God knows what else they've got planned for us. Like we we are going to be busy for the for this coming year. They are really making us work for the the time that we got off during the pandemic. Yeah, because like when we get to the end of like towards the end of March, where we talk about the New Japan Cup, we're also going to probably talk about the qualifiers for the New Japan Cup USA because that field's going to probably be determined by then. And we get to April, we'll have secure chances. The actual. New Japan Cup USA tournament to talk about. So that is it. The final of the New Japan yeah, Cup is on the 21st and then the World of Genesis is on the 28th. Given New Japan's schedule, recently, that's an extended holiday for the guys involved. I know, I'm, really not gonna, I'm, not, I'm going to be confused what to do with that whole week that I've got to myself. Maybe I'll have to watch another promotion for once. <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> you know. I hear Impact's doing something. Now they've got Sacrifice coming back, you know. Sadly, no Scott Steiner to talk about you now. Oh, the, God. Could you imagine the Forbidden Door being open and Toro Yano showed up in the impact zone for sacrifice? Oh. That'd, be, that'd be nuts. There you go. There you go. Here's my wish for 2021. KOPW 2021 match. Uh, Toro Yano versus Johnny Swinger for that title, or him versus Falaba. Someone like that is perfect for the KOPW 2020. <laughs> you know, it, it, it also seems weird to put up a vote whenever Yano's involved because it seems to be always his stipulations get chosen. I know, it's definitely a fix. <laughs> <laughs> the fix is very much in when it comes to Toriano, but that is all from us now. Yeah, we had a busy one, then we've got a busy couple of months coming up because, you know, Sakura Jensen, then Wrestling Dontaku, I believe that'll be another big show. I mean, I'm sure they'll get another big world title defence out of Dontaku, and then we go up to Dominion. What I'm looking forward to is, like, that goes into, like, April and May. I'm hoping that, even though we just had one technically in, like, December, that they'll see about maybe doing best of Super Juniors when they usually do it, and like May, June time, which gives us something to talk about in like late spring going into the summer. If not, I can see why they wouldn't do that, but you know, I think they've got the opportunity, you know, and it makes it more interesting now if they did it when they usually do it, because that would be while Hiromu is out. So then, unlike the last one, 
you take out Hiroma as a major favourite, that leaves the field like wide open. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. I really want the best of Super Juniors to run when it normally does, and hopefully by then, you know, vaccines rolled out, world starting to maybe open up a little bit more could give us a chance to get quick to get a kind of mixture of guys back in for the best of super juniors and get the field expanded out again. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. I've got a good feeling about it. You know, I I think they are trying this year to bring things back when they're looking at the dates when things are happening, like Dontaku's happening on the the like the start of May, third and fourth of May. So they are definitely angling themselves to get back to that normality for us. Yeah, I really hope they like open up the Forbindor, get some impact guys in there from the X Division, get like your TJPs, your Ace Austins in there, Chris Bay maybe, or some guys from like the Use New Japan Strong. I mean, sadly, Blake Christian, WWE stamped him up, so we won't see him in a best Division scenario, which is a shame. But I'm sure there's other guys in the uh, New Japan Strong you can use like ACH for that tournament. He's competed before, but only time will tell. But you can follow along, see what happens by following each week's Super on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Suplex Retreat. You also follow us on all good Android podcasts like Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts, give us a like, rating, or review on your platform of choice. So you can look back at our back catalog of the past episodes of East Meets West that me and Grant have covered. Always a lot to talk about in those episodes, so it's so good to get to listen back to them. You've also got uh, our feature shows. Our most recent feature show was yesterday we had the Season 3 review of Go and Us Sharing our disappointment with the show being cancelled. Next week, we've got the Edge feature show. Uh, we've uh, following that, the, uh, there is a look back at the final year of WCW, coming up to the 20, the 20 year anniversary of the final Nitro and the announcement that Shane Mc, the, the name on the contract was indeed McMahon, but it was Shane McMahon. But, <laughs> so, all of us to talk about, we've got Central every Thursday, giving you all the latest news and everything that's going on. We've got Saturday Draft Live, continuing the road to WrestleMania. We're looking at everything going on in our draft, and with Revolution fastly coming up before me, I'm sure the points will be, there'll be a lot of big points up for grabs in the coming weeks. You know, Grant, Grant, you and Guy are doing very well. We're going to have to get you guys on to talk about your team in the next couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, the, um, the, me and the enigmatic mastermind that is Gary Kernahan. <laughs> you know, team uh, men on a mission. You know, and they are on a mission to win the season eight of the draft. And going forward, you also got our YouTube channel. We've got we've also got our YouTube channel content posting there, kind of semi regular. We've got the semis of the Book It tournament up there. Uh, so you will on track the winner that will face uh, David Hockney. And uh, that match apparently the finals is, we're hoping to be come out sometime around WrestleMania week. So something to look forward to there. We have. Uh, the Conspiracies with David Campbell Ross recently joined on my episode today basically for them to talk about why Meltzer's, rev- Meltzer's awards are shite that's their opinion I mean I don't like some of these, some of these awards either but you know uh, we also got Quiz Showdown we- most recent one Quiz Showdown 8 Legends of Wrestling where I kicked up a fuss over one point but I stand by it uh, you can go see why and see if you agree with me checking it out on the YouTube channel now we're going to have another Quiz Showdown later on in March what it will be about or who's hosting it is still to be determined, but we've still got some plans for that in the months to come. That is all all the content we've got going on, so much going on from us here at East West and all of East Leach to Pikes Retreat. And until next time where we've got the Age of Bank Cup to break down and talk about whether or not we enjoyed who won it. Grant, in the immortal words of one of the greatest pop groups of all time, I will just say goodbye, my friend.
<laughs> I had the trifecta, yeah. Oh, that was well done, well done. You know, like you know, you, you keep chasing after that, like people go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> uh, lovely. <laughs> but again, it's been fun, and uh, I hope they, we've got a lot to talk about after the New Japan Cup. Hello, I am the GOAT, David Campbell, and I would like to invite you, the listener, to my new show over at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets YouTube channel, and that show is The Conspiracy Theory, where once a month, I will be taking a look at all the rumours and speculation in the world of professional wrestling and giving the most important opinion on the matter. My opinion. Yes, that's right. Head over to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Like, share and subscribe where you'll get a lot of other great content over there such as the new hit show, Quiz Showdown. But don't forget, check out my new show, The Conspiracy Theory, on Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Farewell, friends.